Okay, so I'm delighted to be joined by the wonders of technology by former Peter United uh, defender Dean Holden. First and foremost, Dean, you, you're staying safe? Yeah, well, that's the main thing in all this, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, when we come out of it, which we will, you want your family and your friends and, and everybody is to be as healthy as possible. And that's the, the biggest thing in all of it, really, isn't it? We're all missing football and missing it terribly. Obviously, I'm sure you are, but, um, you know, when we come out of it... Um, as long as everyone's healthy, safe and all the rest of it, then we can sort of get on with our lives again. So you're right, due to tech, I never heard of Zoom until <laughs> about four weeks ago and then I've not been off it. So I'm trying to get used to it and trying to, it's hard, isn't it, just sat talking to a computer screen in front of you. But we'll, I'll try and make it as entertaining as, uh, as I can for the fans, unlike some of my performances. <laughs> I'm going to say, particularly for you, you've got to see my face. So it's, it's, it doesn't win, doesn't be, be good for you either. Um, but obviously, I, I guess it's weird because when you're in football, you really get consumed by it and you know the structure of how it works. You know that it's a season to season to season to season. You know the summer's the time off. It, it messes with your head a little bit, doesn't it, when, you, when you've, you're sort of out of kilter. You don't know, I've got no idea what day it is, no idea what month we're in. It's just waiting for the, for the green light. Yeah. It's, that, it's probably one of the biggest frustrations I've got around football as an industry is that sort of institutionalised sort of thinking. Mm. Like we've always done it this way we'll always do it that way. you're always trying to find new ways without trying to reinvent the wheel as a, as a coach you're always trying to find new ways with whether it's technology or, or interacting I mean this has been great for for us now I'm at Bristol City with interacting with the, with the players and the staff just keeping a check on them making sure like you say making sure everyone's okay really because you can text someone and you know they can put out because when you ask someone are you alright mate yeah yeah but like they they'd very rarely go actually no so this is a good people. way do you have to warn people, hey? if you're going to go on to Zoom with a player, do you have to say, right, make sure that your kids are out of the shot or make sure that you've got some clothes on or whatever it may be? Because you, you never really <laughs> know what you're going to see as soon as you hit that live button. That's just Danielle. I don't know about the Yeah, there was one last week, weren't there, that guy who was supposedly doing a BB. Well, I think he turned out to be David Baddiel's brother, weren't he? He's a comedian. Yeah. It was a setup, yeah. but he was doing a live BBC, supposedly. And that's been the TikTok and stuff like that has just been... You, you, you should, you've taken, got to be far, you, you're far too old for TikTok, Dean, surely. Well, I'm being re-educated by, by the kids. So um, When you again, say re-educated, you. you mean bullied, don't you? <laughs> yes. It just shows you how bored people must be. I mean, some of the like, messages, I mean, speaking to my family more, more now than hmm. I, I even do when I can go and knock the door and just go for a brew, you know what I mean? So people are bored, aren't they? So yeah, you're right, just trying to find ways to going back to your question to find a bit I found a bit of structure in the day really helps mm. um, whether it's doing a bit I think exercise is massive whether you just go for a walk or whatever you can do I think I've found it when the days I don't do it you lose that bit of enthusiasm and motivation for it and the day goes on and the next day comes and you've got to snap out of it quick haven't you so stuff like this is good like I say it's something that you know is coming around at a certain time you can get ready prepare for it mm. and uh, now I'm looking forward to the chat because when I when I've actually left left the club in January of 2006, long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But yeah, go on. I think. Well, I'm sure we'll come on to it in the chat. But it was. It was very just sort of done and dusted. The next day, bang, I was gone. And I think I've been back once with. I think it was when I was at Oldham as a mm. coach. I might have come back once. I think so. Yeah, it's the way of football. Unfortunately, isn't it? you make a lot of friends and a lot of meet a lot of good people, and then you're on to the next one. So no, it's uh, it'll be good to sort of reinvoke some memories. Well, you, you, your time actually started because you signed from uh, Oldham. Can you remember um, how that all came about? Were there lots of clubs interested at the time? Because speaking to others, it's, it's bizarre how it all works out. They all say the same story. They get in a room with Barry, the deal falls through, the next day it's back on again, and then you sign. Is that, is that how it worked with you? 
you're right. There were lots of clubs. I think there was. I think there was Dortmund, um, Ajax. Um, I didn't want to go to a club in, in England, so I had to turn Man United down. But no, there was. It, it was very clear in my mind. It was the last day of our holiday. Me and Danielle were on holiday with my brother and, and his wife, and um, phone was ringing. And it was that point of the holiday when you've got to be out the hotel room by a set time. And I'm sat on my suitcase and I'm trying to zip it shut, and the phone's going. And it was a number I didn't recognise, and obviously ignored it because I was sweating and. And it rang a couple of times and I eventually answered it and he was Mark right. And um, he knew I was out of contract, as you say, I'd left Oldham that summer. And uh, he just wanted to meet up. So I flew home that very same day, got in the car next morning, drove down early down to, down to London Road, and, uh, as it was there, um, and, met, and met Mark for the day. And basically, yeah, he took me around the training ground and I'd have met Barry and uh, met some people behind the scenes. Joan, God bless her, some lovely people behind, you know, Bob. And, uh, and then... It's funny because a couple of managers have said the same thing to me in the years since. You said you should you should play poker with a face like that, and I don't know if it's this. I don't know if it's the accent or this kind of. Someone will come up to me at party and say, "What's up with you?" And I'll, I'll be like, "You know, about I'm a great night, the best night of my life." I'll tell your face, you know, one of them. So um, I wasn't negotiating in such with Mark in terms of joining the club. It was a Friday afternoon, and I was just thinking, I'll drive back home to Manchester and I'll sort of, you know, speak to Daniel. I always speak to my dad about them decisions anyway, and basically go from a. I always try and go from a bit of a feeling rather than a snap decision. So if I'll wake up tomorrow, I'll see how I'm feeling. And you know, if, for example, it was off the table and Peter had moved on, then I would have feel, would have feel, ah, I missed that one. And I did. Mm-hmm. So I went back on, um, and as I was leaving, he offered me the cap- role of captain just like that. And again, I don't know if it was one of his negotiating ploys. I woke up on the Saturday morning and thought, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. So I went down, I think it would have been the Monday morning and, and put pad to paper. Barry offered me the contract and I signed it. I don't. There was no agent involved. You know, I wanted to. I liked the feel of the place. Um, so yeah, it just felt it felt the right thing to do, and uh, off we went from there. Obviously, Mark had had such a wonderful career as, as a player and had been manager um, at Chester, I think, prior to obviously coming mm. across um, to Peachborough. Um, as, a, as a defender yourself, and the fact that he was a defender as well, did that play any part in your thinking? Because sometimes when you have a manager that signs you, they're played in that position, you think, oh, I might be able to learn off him or, or learn different intricacies about the game. Did that play any part whatsoever? Yeah, as the conversation went, I, I walked through the... Obviously, you sat in the waiting room in the reception there and you, you, you're a bit nervous and you've got, you're playing the conversation around in your head, I'm going to go in and he's going to ask me this and I'm going to say that. And, and I went in the office and he was sat there on the, with his feet on the desk, Mark, and it was almost as if he didn't expect me there, even though we'd set it up between us. Like I say, no agents, me and him had had the conversation. I walked through the door and he went, okay, what can I do for you? And I thought it was really interesting, actually. In, I mean, it totally stumped me from, from the start, put me on the back foot because you didn't expect it. And then I said, well, and the conversation really went like, well, obviously there's a, there's a couple of offers coming, but you know, you've rang me up and I'm interested to talk exactly about the point you've just made there. As in, you know, what can, how can, ultimately it's a selfish game. I wanted to get as high as I possibly could in the, yeah. in a game of football. I started off as a young kid and from whatever age and played and through the levels and suffered unfortunately a broken leg at Bolton and sort of dropped down from that championship level down to League One with Oldham and lost some confidence and, and, career went a little bit off track and so I was trying to get back to a level that I thought I was able to get to you know what I mean so yeah his knowledge first and foremost when you talk to him about the game he's he was a top player a real top player and he can get that across <laughs> if any of the lads are watching this um that played at the time like Cardi Paul Card and Chris Plummer um Newt so I would, I would suggest Tiles definitely we were training one day and it was the muddiest surface I think I've ever trained on and we were having a five up 
and me and Chris Plummer were playing at the back in a two centre half sort of position and Wrighty's come on on the other team and he's on his phone he's took a call it's probably off Baz about a player he's took a call while he's playing the five aside he's controlling it and he's passing it we're all trying to struggle to stay on our feet it was like they say this, the surface was terrible so no it was um, some of his knowledge was great for me as a, I'm trying to think how old I would have been when I signed to 15 25 year old so it was a real yeah it was a real insight into the game actually yeah, I mean, it was, it was an interesting time because obviously Barry had been manager for such a long time and it, Mark was obviously his first appointment. Mark is a, as more of a defensive side of the game. Obviously, Barry was however many goals we score, let's hope it's enough that we win the game. Um, Mark was a bit more disciplined in his approach. Did it take a little while to sort of get that message across? Because obviously, some players would have been used to a different kind of style and then obviously Mark wanted to be a bit more rigid in terms of the formation. Yeah, I think the biggest thing in all that would have been the as you say, the change off, off the pitch. I think Barry had been manager near 10 years, I think, mm. nine, 10 years. And, and that was, as you say, the first summer that he'd relinquished you know, the, the duties of the manager. And there was a lot of change off the pitch with the behind the scenes. Um, a lot of players had come in. Mark had brought some players. And I remember day one, Sanji Burton telling me that we had a big meeting, a team meeting. And, and I think uh, Swanee, the local reporter, had been banned. Mm-hmm. Something had happened the previous season. I think Mark Harbour and a few of the senior players weren't too happy about Maybe some of the score, and I can see why <laughs> some of Swanee's scorings on a, on a Monday in the paper. You think you'd had a decent game, you get a four out of ten. But um, no, it was it was a lot of change, and and what I quickly gathered was it was a, it was a bit of a losing mentality within the club. Mm. Obviously, got relegated the season before down to League Two, and the, if I'm being totally honest now, certainly since I've gone into coaching, there was a there was a lot of good players at the at the, at the club. I think there was probably. We were we were lacking in, in in good attitude from probably from from within. Yeah, you know to set that task of right, we're going to get re-promoted. What what is that? How do we get promoted? What have we got to do to achieve that? And it was it never quite got off the ground. In fairness, it was there was a lot of changes. I think in the eighteen months I was there, the three managers I think Wrighty was there. Um, Blio obviously took over mm. um, as caretaker, and then and Keith again, God bless him, Keith came in the following summer. So there was a lot of change in. You know, when I ended up leaving in the January, there was—I might be jumping ahead now with your questions. I don't know, so shut me up if you want to. But I think Darren Ferguson came in shortly after, maybe a month or so after I left, and I think they went and got two promotions after that. Back, you know, up to the championship. So maybe it's because I left. I don't know. But you look back and think, you know, I love my time at Falkirk. My two boys were born. Two oldest boys were born up there. It's a great time in my career. But you do look back and think, if I'd have just stuck it out, because we there was a group of us that were really wanting to get it to. The, Stupid stuff like you'd have to be in by a certain time in the morning, whether it be mm. eight thirty, and some of the lads would find it funny to get there. As, who could get there the latest without being late? So eight twenty nine, and it wasn't really a culture of, you know, what you'd class as a high performance environment. So you know, we we tried every day to make that, and it just didn't quite work out, as I say. Yeah, you mentioned about losing mentality, when, particularly when a team has been relegated. How quickly can you change a mentality? Is it? changing the players or can you change someone's mentality as a player when they've gone through a relegation to something different quite quickly? I think, as again, with my coach's hat on, I think you've, you have to be the, I think with anything, I see it like I do with my own kids in a weird way. It's like you've got to be the example, aren't you? So there's no point in saying something and acting in a way and then doing, and then doing something completely different yourself. You've got to be the example for it to take time. I suppose it's like educating the players, isn't it? You've got to, you can force anyone to, and if I went and tried to drag my kids off the PlayStation now and threaten bedtime early tonight, they'd do it, wouldn't they? Because it's short term. Yeah. If you want them to do it long term, you've got. I've got to sort of educate them in a way that it's 
that's the right thing to do for them. Uh, and it takes time to do that. And, and the, the other thing, I think, in all of it is, uh, I remember when I was old and we had a, like a fans forum and one of the, we just beat Rochdale. And one of the fans said to me, you know, you can beat Rochdale in a local derby, 3-0, and great performance, and then you can go and lose to, you know, Colchester, the bottom of the league. How can you not get the players up for it? And, and I said, ask that question again a minute. And what I was getting at was, it's got to come from within. It's, you know, managers, coaches, motivators, got to be motivators. To answer your question there, that it's got you've got to have a group of people that are in, like literally intrinsically motivated to I'm gonna be the best I can be today. Like, I'm obsessed enough to want to be better than I was yesterday. And then it might sound a bit cliche, I don't know, but that's what you need, and you need a group of them to get um to a level where you can go and achieve sustained success. Of course, short term you can get a couple of strikers in who, who might who might not be great characters, for example, but can score loads of goals. Of course, to build something that's gonna be sustainable, they're the on and off the pitch as well. I think that's what you need. That's the biggest thing. Mm. Speaking to a few players that were around, obviously, during that time, a few of them have spoken about what the dressing room was, was like in terms of whether it was together or whether it was cliquey. Because obviously on the show, which we'll go on to a little bit later on in terms of Big Ron, it became very evident watching it that there was people that sat there, people that sat there, people sat there, and they always seemed to sit there. Is that how it felt in the early part? Or did that sort of develop over time? Yeah, yeah, I think it did. I think there was, you know, we Mark tried his best in the summer to get a couple of team bonding things going and stuff. All the great lads, there's no problem with any of them. It's just, I think everybody was at a different stage in there. I think some had, had their fingers burnt the season before, maybe not played as much as they wanted to. Maybe there was a contract issue and there's all these things. Um, but I think as it wore on, I think, as you say there in the show, I think there was, um, I don't think it's the most collective squad that I've ever been a part of and it's a real shame as I say because there's a lot of good people um, it just didn't work out Obviously when Mark left Leo obviously stepped up from assistant with your coaching hat on now can you, can you, see, can you see why that was so hard to make that adapt adaption without even considering the fact that there was a TV camera following him around Yeah I think I think the biggest one of, one of Leo's biggest strengths was his his passion for the game and his scouse sort of mentality. He was a bit of a joker and he was so close to the players. And then when he became, as you say, the manager, the main man, the caretaker manager, I think probably he's, maybe some of the players suck his, like his niceness for weakness. You know, he had a bit of a snap in him, but by then I think it was, I think some of the players maybe undermined him a little bit. And, and you can see it again. It's, this is not me speaking. I would never speak out of turn in terms of what goes on in the dressing room. It's all been, unfortunately, it was aired in the, in the TV show, which was, which I'm sure we all still get messages about now and it is good to look back on actually but I think you can see in there where you know sort of players are going to speak to maybe going to speak to Barry about why they're not playing and stuff and it's different I mean it, to be fair it can happen at other clubs as well you've got to be able to manage it as the manager and unfortunately Leo probably wasn't able to do that. What was he actually like as a, as a coach on the training ground b before he got to the point of doing everything from putting the cones out to you know getting involved yeah. in the session was he was he a, um, a coach that was innovative or was he someone who who just wanted it short and sharp? He was, him and Mark were really good because Wrighty was the sort of, I suppose, that he played the game, as you say, at the highest level. And Leo was just so enthusiastic. And when, when what the players want in a coach, ultimately, if there's one thing you could ask, is that passion and enthusiasm to, to every day to get you out there and get you trying to achieve at your best. So he had that in spades. He really did. And, and, and literally would work every minute to, to make the club successful. Uh, mm. He was a good guy, real good guy. And... Um, not too sure what he's up to now, to be fair. There's a lot of people, obviously, in football's like you sort of lose touch of 
with a lot of people. Maybe there should be a, a reunion. I don't know. Yeah, football reunion in, uh, in a few years. Next big thing. Um, talking about um, obviously Blingo, you made a great start as as um, sort of caretaker manager, and obviously um, the manager, sorry, as manager as well. Great results away from home. Obviously at Bury, I remember the three one where Cash yeah. Michael blessing went up for a corner and it got cleared, and Curry had the uh, the advantage of running to an empty goal and, and sticking it in, and obviously Blio, you know, going a bit bonkers on the sidelines, and then apologising straight afterwards to uh, to Uncle Edwin on BBC Radio Cambridgeshire. Mm-hmm. I think um, th- when the when the games going that way and you're winning those games, the belief, I guess, must be sort of churning through the players. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, well, we we sort of did that in that season. Didn't we? we sort of went on. We didn't start the season particularly well at all. I remember I got sent off in. Down at Bristol Rovers, um, lost the first few games. It weren't a great start at all. But you're right, we did have good spells within the season. We just weren't able to to sustain them. I know. I remember there was an FA Cup game. If we'd have won, I think it was it Burton. Mm-hmm. I think if we'd have beat, we'd have got through. I think we'd have got Man United, or I think Man United might have had a replay first and foremost. So that it just didn't quite happen, did it, on the pitch? And um, you know, as I say, that you've got to achieve them sustained periods of consistency in your performance. We were able to do it. Yeah. Um, when the camera crew were obviously in and around um, the stadium, obviously I think um, Crowey said in his interview that Barry sort of sat you down and said, right, this is happening, this is going to be happening, you cooperate, blah, blah, blah. Obviously in the show, there's quite a lot of interviews with, with different people. Did, were you someone who wanted to sort of try and back away as much as you possibly could from that or did, did you sort of just accept that they want to speak to you and that's the way it was going to be? Well, you, I think first and foremost... You know, the club was was struggling financially, and and Barry obviously got this op- the you know, option to bring them in for quite a big sum of money, from what I remember. And mm. I think ultimately that's how Darren McAntony might have spotted it, and and the rest is history, as they say. He took it the club to another level, but <clears throat> obviously they needed the money. So you know, whatever you do to keep the club going, you have to do as a player. You've got no decision making on that. Um, well, yeah, I was the captain. We 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 sorry, we worried about it as, as players. Did you discuss it and sort of say, I'm not too sure this is this is going to be good. It's the first time I think any of us... Are, I mean, if it happened nowadays, he'd probably... I mean, they've done some great ones, haven't they, in recent... There's one I watch all or nothing, which follows like a lot of the NFL teams out in America. I think Sunderland have done a couple of really good ones. Leeds did a brilliant one. Um, I think nowadays, the way young players you know, are used to technology and they're all, they've always got the phones out and messing around. And Back then, it wasn't the way, so it was a bit alien to us, but it just took a bit of getting used to, you know what I mean? You'd be having a conversation with a player about, and they were right in your, in your face. I mean, Leo would be taking a team talk. You've seen some of them. And you'd feel a little, I always felt a little bit like I was the captain and I had to be the sort of speaker for the group. But at the same time, you, you've got to be careful with the perception that, you, you you know, there's a camera crew and you're doing this or saying that because there's a camera crew there. I think you can see right through that. So you've just got to try and be, <clears throat> excuse me, you've got to be trying to be yourself as much as possible. But I think, in, I remember one incident clearly when, when Big Ron came in and we had a, a meeting at the training lounge, great guy, Big Ron. Uh, he knew, like, for example, he knew Brian, Brian Robson was one of my heroes as a kid. And, and one day I was in the dressing room on my own and I heard him come in and he, and he seen me and he got his phone out and he's talking to someone on the phone and he's saying, yeah, he passes me his phone and it's Brian Robson. <laughs> and obviously Brian Robson's like, you know mate? And it was a bit like, hi, Brian, you all right? Uh, you know, good luck today. Hope you were. Thanks. And I was buzzing. I'd spoke to him, one of my heroes. But it was just a bit, but he was a great guy, Ron, really generous. But... I remember one meeting that he called and I think he could probably see what was going on with a few of the players with, as I say, with the relationship with Leo. So he said, right, from this minute now, he's the gaffer. And he was trying to put that line in the sand. He's the gaffer. You call him the gaffer. Don't call him Leo. Um, and I walked out of the dressing room thinking, 
it could work that. And within seconds, Bleo come running up to me and he's saying, I'm, 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 I was going to put the Scouse accent on, man. I won't disrespect anyone. Um, I'm Bleo. I don't want to be called Gaffer. I'd, maybe he didn't feel worthy enough of being the Gaffer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But straight away, like Ron had put this line in the sand and then Bleo was sort of saying, no, I don't want it. So you'd almost think that Ron should have gone to Bleo and had yeah. that conversation. But at the same time, it made great telly, didn't it? But I guess that must be so, confusing for you, though, because obviously you're walking away thinking, well, what the hell am I going to call you? I'm Mercury Steve. <laughs> exactly that. Think was, something a little bit a few, Yeah, there's probably a few examples of that that went on, which probably undermined Bleo as well. So, you know, as I say, it wasn't ideal, but it, it, it was what it was. We had to abide by it and make, make the best of it. Uh, you spoke earlier about Barry. Now, obviously, I've worked with Barry for a long, long time. Um, you get used to seeing Barry just wearing shorts. If the sun comes out, whether it's 10 degrees, 20 degrees, 30 degrees, Barry will sun himself. Um, I'd imagine um, he's had many occasions where you've had conversations with him. You just think, just put some clothes on, Baz, surely. Well, you, you clearly teamed me up for a, a comment I told you off camera prior to this interview. That, one of my first memories, of, obviously knew about Barry Fry and his larger-than-life personality. And seen him loads of times since at awards dinners and a great guy. What a guy, what a bloke. But... Yeah, we were training. Mark was trying to do a shape session on one of the first few days of pre-season. He was trying, as you said before, he was trying to put his defensive structure in place and his philosophy. And Baz, <laughs> Baz just comes strolling across the pitch with a pair of like tight like shorts on, like what they used to wear in like Italian ninety, and a pair of flip flops, no top on, shades on, and he's got a shirt and a ball in his hand, and he's like, just lads, just lads are trying to like press the ball and like get into shape and all, and like just come and sign this. For you. <laughs> it was comical. It was. <laughs> um, to be honest, it was it's part of the charm of the club, isn't it? You know what I mean? He's a he's a massive part of the club, and it, it's a big part of of the football club. But you know what I mean? It was probably just hang fire till we finish this session. I was speaking to um, to Danny Crow and Newts about um, the moment that Bleo got to the point where he quit live on well not live on telly, but as it was, he was watching the show um, in the dressing room. I remember that day clearly because. He, he'd rung me in the morning and asked me to print off the set of pieces and he lived in a flat near Gala Bingo in Peachborough and I'd driven to his house in the morning, dropped off the set of pieces. It was obviously the day of the Macclesfield game, um, which we obviously needed to win to keep alive the, the playoff push. And uh, I said, how, how are you feeling? He goes, yeah, yeah, really looking forward to the game. Brilliant, fantastic. So brilliant, fantastic. Got back to the club and about, I think it was about one o'clock, um, a couple of fans had come in and said, has Bleo quit? And I was like, Sally, he's, he's just putting the cones outside. Come back in. Uh, 20 minutes later, another person came into reception and said, I've just seen Bleo drive off. I'm telling you, he's, he's, he's out there. And then about three minutes later, Barry hands me the actual team sheet and I'm thinking, what is going on here? For someone who was in the dressing room, obviously we've seen it on the TV, but what was, was, it, was it anything like normal in terms of the preparation leading up to that moment? Up until the morning of the game, it, yeah, it was, you, wouldn't have, you wouldn't have noticed anything different. I think just before that, the, I remember, I think it was April Fool's Day, funnily enough, we played Northampton at home and I um, pulled my hamstring after about 20 minutes and I was never quick enough to be a, somebody that would pull an hamstring. And what had happened the day before in training on the Friday, I'd, I'd gone into a tackle and broke a bone in my foot. So I'd been to the hospital that night and had an x-ray and I knew I'd broke my foot, bone in my foot, but I thought if I get a jab in it and get some painkillers, I'll be all right. So came in on the Saturday morning, got the, uh, the painkillers and sorted and then obviously without boring you the gait of my body weren't quite right because I was probably limping a bit because of my toe and that's how I ended up pulling my hamstring so when this happened with Leo I wasn't I was injured um, so I was actually driving to the stadium and there's an unwritten rule in football around sort of having your mobile phone off at 1.30 leading into a 3 o'clock game and the phone starts going it was about 10 to 2 
and it was Cardiff, Paul Carden, who was yeah. vice captain. And uh, I thought, what's he doing ringing it? He was a really good professional, you know what I mean? He got you, you were thinking in your head, fine. I was, <laughs> yes, absolutely I was, yeah. End the season trip where, you know, um, didn't have uh, the earpiece. So pulls over, rings him back, what's going on? And he obviously told me he was really close to Bleo. They'd been at Southport, I think, together. And obviously, right, he'd brought Bleo in from, from Chester and that. So he, off the pitch, he was really close to him as was a, you know, a couple of the other players. And he sort of started to fill me in on what had, what had gone on from his point of view. And then some of the stuff I didn't even know till I saw the, you know, saw the show. And it was a real sad ending, actually, weren't it? You know, and as I said before, brilliant. I'm sure the producers couldn't believe it. Mm. Um, as I say, from a human, you know, a real good guy. And it was a sad ending, actually, weren't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously we went on to win that game 3-2. Chloe scored probably his only goal from outside of the box, um, sort of deep into stoppage time to win the game. Um, I suppose from a player perspective, even though you weren't involved, but those that were involved, they get through that game on adrenaline. And then I'd imagine once they've got to the shower, they've got dressed, everyone's sort of texting saying, what was that all about? I'd imagine. I'd imagine you must have had some common kind of conversation together after that game. Yeah, we had a meeting after the game, and as you say, there, there's, there's all kinds of things that can happen um, before a game. Some, you know, I remember my wife went into labour sort of an hour um, before kick off, and sort of, do you play the, you know? So you, you get through the game on adrenaline. You do. You, you're a professional, and you sort of inbuilt in you to just kind of go and get your, your game face on and go and play. But you're right. Once the game had finished and everyone had sort of relaxed and. It was a bit like, no, not, no one had ever talk, talked to anyone how to sort of get through a situation like that. So it was trying to get some answers, I suppose, from, you know, from the club, from, from Barry and, and the people upstairs as to how we move forward from here because we were chasing the playoffs. Mm. You know, let's not forget that. There was an end of season um, that season. Um, so unfortunately, as I say, it just all unraveled from there, really. Yeah, I think um, Ken Charlery came in, Andy Legg obviously were assisting Barry for that game at Lake Norient away from home, which ended in defeat. And I think you pretty much needed a miracle against Wickham on the final day. I think it was, I mean, Ibram, Wickham springs to mind, but it might not have been Wickham. But the last game of the season, um, obviously you needed to win it um, and rely on others. Was that a hard thing mentally to do after the defeat against Lake Norient? Because it needed a lot of things to align for you to, to, to get into yeah. that player position. Again, you, you've got... You can only focus on yourself, and it's the most boring comment you can ever hear from anyone. But you know, imagine losing, and then everyone else had results had gone for us. Mm. You can never live with yourself, so you go into the game with that mindset. You know, we do our job, um, and we and we hope and pray that everyone else slips up. And just say it wasn't wasn't to be. Obviously, uh, Keith Alexander came in um, the following season. Um, obviously, no cameras there as well. Did it feel a little bit like a new club? Suppose to an extent we went on. I remember we went on tour to um, to Southern Ireland and we got there. We had two games lined up and got there and realised that their season was a summer season, so the games got cancelled. So um, again, we were on the back foot, I suppose. But Keith's, Keith's attitude was always. I mean, before he obviously his untimely death, which was which was terrible. But before that, I remember he, a few years before he'd had a sort of a brain aneurysm type um, experience, and his his outlook on life was. He was so calm. He was the calmest bloke I think I've ever been in, in, in the company of in football. And everything that happened like that, like that scenario, would be very much like literally what I've just said there about the last game of the season. He'd be like, all right then, let's make the best of it type of mentality. So um, we got off to a really good start that season. And he brought some good players to the club. I mean, Peter Gaines was a, was a top midfielder, probably should have played at a lot higher level than he mm. did. Uh, obviously, Richard Butcher came in and we had, you know, we had some real 
real good players. And um, for me, it just got to a point around Christmas time and it, just the club sort of basically, well, I'll tell you when you ask me the question about the move, but it just happened like that. And, you know, I was out of there. So it never, say, never quite had that feeling of a, of a, of a proper ending, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think um, Simon Yeo obviously was one of the players that came in from, from the Lincoln days. And I think it was a, a, a Bristol Rovers on the opening day, which we won quite comfortably. And I, I guess um, when you've um, had disappointment the season before, when you got off to a good start, you probably thought we could have a little bit of momentum here because there was different people within the dressing room as well. Did it feel a better dressing room as well? Yeah, there was, I think that for the supporters as well, it was that feeling of, to say that the season before a, a had finished in a bit of a whimper, I suppose, uh, on the back of a relegation previously. And uh, there was probably a lot of the supporters that had lost a little bit of love for, you know, and they wanted to see some of that. And they say, when you start a season so well, there's all that optimism in the summer about signings and that. And it all comes down to that first game. And that season, as you say, we, we got off to a flyer against Bristol Rovers and Simon Yeowater, he was a fantastic finisher. Um, mm. One of the best wind-ups I've seen, actually, was um, Ben Futcher came in as well from Lincoln Ganey. Yeah. They were quite tight. Um, and Keith as well, obviously. And um, he was in the army, weren't he? And I think when you leave the army, I think that, I don't know the exact time, and someone might correct me, but I think it's 10 years where when you leave, they can call you back up and you've basically got, you've got to have a good excuse to not go back in. And he kept going on and on and on about, I've got three months to go before I'm done. And, and lit- I think it was literally a few days before where, Ganey and Futch and that had managed to get hold of some like proper headed note paper with the army stuff at the top and that and requested him <laughs> and he opened the letter in front of the squad. It was one of the oh, you should have seen his reaction. But he's a great he was a great guy, he was, and he was such a good finisher that anywhere in the six yard box he was you know what I mean, he gets a chance he'd score more, more often than not. So he was he was a good player for the club in that, at that time, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that prank now. I mean, I've been on the wrong end many times down the years of um, people uh, coming for me and tying me up and doing this, that and the other. Never trust the chief exec. That's what I learned as well. Um, in the dressing room back in those days, I suppose you could get away with a little bit more, couldn't you? Because nowadays it's not so much uh, that goes on. You know, like you think of Vinnie Jones and Wimbledon and, and burning clothes and all that kind of stuff. You can get away with that nowadays. People would have you in, in front of a tribunal. But was it enjoyable to, to be able to do that kind of stuff, to show that kind of team spirit back then? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, yeah, it was a real good feeling at that point. As you say, there was a new breed of players that come in. Um, and the players that were there, pre, that, that, that were still at the club, sort of bought into it. Mm. Sort of joined on board. So it became, although there was new, you know, the new breed and the old brigade, I suppose, it sort of joined. Uh, I don't know what the reason for that, really. But yeah, there was a lot more connection with the players off the pitch there was a lot more socialising and a lot of us lived around the same uh, obviously a lot of the lads I remember lived in, out in Hampton um, Hampton Highgate and yep. we lived me and Danielle moved we had a lovely little place down on Sugar Way yeah that's where I am now broadcasting live is that where you are is it yeah, yeah. Um, near Mark Tyler in one of you know two he's still there uh, as well still there yeah a couple of, a couple of the others uh, Adam was there Adam Fry was around the corner and Paul Carden and Shane Hooke was there so yeah, just from a socialising point of view, you know, you take the dog for a walk or whatever, and just it was just it was a good feeling, yeah. At that point, I remember, yeah. Any any wrong end for you? Anyone come for you during your time, or did you sort of hide behind the skipper front and uh, got away with it a little bit? Uh, no, no, no. I've been on the wrong end, probably more in my younger. I think what normally happens, and as you say, you've got to be really careful now. Um, but normally, what you on the wrong end of as a young player, you sort of then become the cranky. It spins it spins in a circle, doesn't it? So yeah, there's you know there's there's all kinds of um, 
pranks, you'll go and go and get one of your shoes to put your trainer on after training and someone stuck a nail through the inside of it into the wooden cork floor underneath and you and it's all about the reaction in it. Um so no there was yeah as you say cutting clothes up regularly was was one. I think I, I, I mean I could share one one story with you. Peter Grant, who's a little bit a little bit after you guys, um, they they you remember where you come into the the dressing rooms at the bottom, um, through the corridor. Um, yeah. There was, a, there was an area they drove his car into that area there, and um, obviously he didn't know some nicked keys. Drove the car in, literally the tightest to the to the wall either side. And he came out of the dressing room, didn't know anything about it. it was just going out and he literally walked into his own car. He was, he went bonkers, absolutely bonkers. <laughs> Everyone was just scamming everywhere. Just, just not nothing to do with us whatsoever. And it wasn't anything to do with me in case he's watching. But um, those, those kind of things, I suppose, they, it's almost like one-upmanship at that time, isn't it? If someone does something like that, what's the worst thing you can do? That's the thing. Yeah. Well, I remember one of the lads... Uh, got some pink paint and painted. He had a pair of Coke mats, still my favourite boot. He just Coke them on the L's and painted them bright pink. So then the next game, he's come in and literally got his suit off the hook and put his suit on and gone and lay in the bath. And just lay in the bath and waited for him to come in again to see his reaction. Just, how's he going to get on? <laughs> What's he going to wear? You know what I mean? But I remember actually in the programme, there was one that come to mind with Arbs. Do you remember when, um, I think it was Danny Crow that had, had a, uh, been selected by the drug testers to do a urine sample? Yes. And I remember Arbs grabbing hold of the, yeah, like, yeah, the test tube type thing and yeah. sort of waving it. I think the lid was on it, but it was waving it around the air. And I, I you always have to give a set amount. And if you and it's after a game, it's the worst time to get tested because you're always dehydrated. And I've sat in some stadiums for three, four hours and waited to try and. And uh, I think Crowley had gone just under the line. I remember Arbs grabbing it and sort of taking the Mickey out of him. And he eventually, I think he got pulled in front of a tribunal for it. So, as you say, you've got to be a bit careful, but just make sure the cameras aren't rolling, I suppose, is the secret. But with the media people that have to hang around and wait for you guys to finish doing your urine test, because we're the ones that end up taking you back, because the bus won't stay for you. So, yeah. it's, it's normally, oh, the media guys have got a space. We'll, we'll hang about for five hours, waiting, just waiting patiently. Um, so, let's talk about, before, before we talk about your departure from the club, um, obviously, you played with a, a number of different players during your time. Um, looking at you, I think you scored five goals for Posh, which is, is pretty decent, actually, given the position that you played in and the amount of games that you played for. Um, firstly, in terms of the players you played with, who was, the, who was the best in terms of ability? And of those goals that you did score, um, was it because you were timing your run as a, as a fullback to get in at the back stick, or did you just end up being there because it was a set piece? I can, I can even remember oh. a couple of goals you scored. I can actually as well now you say it. I, re I remember that I scored one against Hartlepool where the, the, the end point of it was, if you'd seen it, you'd be like, well, oh, that was a decent strike. It was about 25, 30 yards. Um, hit it on the half volley right into the top corner. But the reason it was on the half volley is because I took a bad first touch and obviously was chasing it and it was bouncing and I just, I do remember desperation that. probably smashed it. I think we got beat 5-3, so there was not much time to celebrate that one against Hartlepool, I remember. But, I played a lot of left wing back as well. Again, a position I never played in me. And I think, I think one of the, you could call it a strength, but it was probably a weakness in terms of my own career was being able to fill in. in you know, I was, I remember when I signed for Walsall, Dean Smith, uh, obviously now at Villa, he, him and Richard Kelly's assistant was sat there and he said, so what's your, you know, what footed are you really? Because you, you look like, you know, I said, well, they're both as bad as each other really. And that, that was probably, I probably never specialised in any, in any, you know, I think the biggest, uh, probably the biggest ability I would guess I would call it, it's probably my attitude and what will, will to win and that type of thing but you know 
really yeah, irks me. Really, yeah, really irks me when people say, "I don't really know what foot I am." Just pick one, mate. I can't play with any Just of them. Just pick one. That, yeah. That's... So now I was, I was, I was handy enough on my left foot. I won't say I had a wand on either side. That's what my point is. But I was handy enough on both. So you know, you get plonked at left wing back. I remember quite a bit. I was thinking left wing back is a funny position, but you play there. You're asked to play there. You do the, you do the job. In terms of the, the players, I, I remember Tiles was a top keeper. Mm. Tiles was a top keeper. He, I think if he'd, obviously if he's a little bit taller, he could have gone a lot higher than, than he did, but a fantastic career. Um, Jamie Day, I remember. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Pasty, great nickname, wasn't it? From, why do you call you Pasty? Because he's from Cornwall, brilliant. Um, real good player. Coming through the ranks, he was highly thought of. I know he'd been to Man United on trials and stuff and lovely left foot on him. Could get up and down the park. As I said before, Gainey for me was a, was a was a fantastic player. Such a pack, great passing range with that wand of a left foot. He really did, didn't he? Um, and probably one that wouldn't spring to mind in terms of maybe game time, but would be Andre Bucar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a... When we trained with, through the winter period, I touched on before with, with the, the surfaces during the winter period at the training ground, we did a lot of stuff indoors and it was like little freebie freeze and stuff and bouncing off the walls and all that. And he'd grown up in one of these sort of... I think they're quite popular around London under like the motorways and stuff you know like the little cages like the little what you, you would play at a local like goal centre or whatever but so his use of his body that he, and his tricks and the way he could turn and manipulate the ball was, was top was top draw so um, yeah I would probably I'd probably go with them guys as the yeah, as I, I, I remember Andre coming on away at Mansfield as a substitute he did more step overs in about 10 seconds I was dizzy by the time he finished them um, <laughs> but yeah incredible um, incredible ability but as you say not someone you necessarily think of when, you, when you're looking mm. back at that particular time um, Corey obviously scored a lot of goals in fact his goal record was pretty decent in, in, throughout his time at, at Posh and um, I suppose he was a little bit undermined I suppose by the fact that people viewed the programme and, and came up with their own conclusion yeah, to be, I've missed him. I know if, if if he was watching this, and he probably if he was watching it, he probably won't be watching it anymore. Um, he had a great season, didn't he? Did he get eighteen, nineteen yeah, goals that first season? 19, so yeah, uh, again, should in my opinion should have played a lot higher and a lot longer than, than he did with his ability. Um, he was a box finisher. Again, he wasn't the tallest, but he's he had like a his body shape. I suppose he's a bit like an Aguero type, like small and stocky. Again, he could manipulate bigger defenders. He was clever. His movement was very good, actually. So, yeah, you're right. I should have added him to the list. Um, you mentioned how quick your departure actually happened. Um, condense it, because obviously most people think when a transfer is going to take place, it would it'll be you'll go up to wherever it is, discuss a contract, come back, think about it for a little while. But it was almost like, oh, I think Dean Holden's going going to Falkirk. Yeah, it's done, and, and that was yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, and most of the time it is, you're right, especially when it's a summer move, it's, you know, I'll go there, I'll speak to them, I'll go there, speak to them. It was, it was January, um, and we went to play Hartlepool, so we travelled up on the Friday, I'm sat in the hotel room, and I get a knock about nine o'clock on the Friday night off Keith Alexander, and said, just come down and have a chat. So I went down to reception, and he said, Falkirk have come in with a, a bid for you, and we've accepted it, you can speak to him. And, and straight away at that point, you sort of go, you know, how much do they really want to keep me? Again, I don't think it was a huge amount of money, but, you know, I think Barry's been very clever over the years with moving people on at the right time and stuff like that. And I think they got me on a free that, you know, an offer had come in for me and obviously thought it was worthwhile. So, um, yeah, I literally, so the Friday night I found out, um, I mean, Danielle was eight months pregnant at the time and we'd all, we'd been into the Peterborough Hospital and we'd done an, 
I'd been in there as the dad and done all the sort of trips in and what you got to do on the day and pack your, the bag and all this sort of stuff. And so we were well prepared and as I say we had a house on Sugar Way. So it was a complete surprise to me. So basically the next day we played Hartlepool and Keith said, I don't want you to play in case you get injured. But I want you to be on the bench just in, just in case. So I literally sat on the bench knowing I was never going to go on really, mm. unless it was an emergency. Um, and then travelled back to Peterborough that night, packed my bag and the very next morning, which was New Year's Eve, um, I flew from, I drove to Stansted and flew up to Edinburgh and went and met the manager and, and signed that day. And that was it. Never went back. And Danielle, bless her, she packed, she had to pack, she got my brother down and my dad and they packed up the house themselves, uh, as I say, eight months pregnant and, and eventually moved up to Scotland with me and, and uh, I say, two of my boys were born up there. I had a fantastic time up there, brilliant club, but yeah, it was literally as quick as that. I mean, so, her face when I rang her to tell her was like, like you for real or what? Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's the coldest, coldest place you could go. Um, but I, I suppose you, you, you were, as soon as you heard the word bid accepted, it almost becomes, you know, it's very rare that a bid's accepted and a player will turn it down because in the back of their head, you must be thinking, well, as you say, if, if a bid's accepted, rather than, oh, Fulkirk have come in, what do you think? Then you, you can have your own sort of view on it and sort of say, well, I don't really want to go. But I suppose when you've told a bid's been accepted, you, you kind of not been pushed out the door, but to a certain extent as a player, you're thinking, well, I'll probably have to go. Yeah, I think you're right. And you, you can't have it both ways. I mean, it's, there's times in my career where I found out afterwards that maybe someone had shown some interest in me and the manager at the time or the, the chief exec or whoever at the club had not told me. And that leaves a bit of a... I can see, obviously, now as a coach, and I can see why clubs sometimes wouldn't tell the player because they don't want them to go. So I could see both sides of it. But for me, yeah, it was, it was the open and it was amicable. It was open and honest, which is all you can ever ask of. Um, and as I say, looking back, as much as I enjoyed my time up there, it was, you know, Dara was, I think he just took over a few weeks before. I mean, we played Tranmere away in the FA Cup at a great result, great performance. One of the, one of the, the best, one of the better team performances I remember while I was there, and yeah, I remember Dara coming on the pitch. Yeah, because Dara had paid for all the buses um, uh, for, the for the supporters. Yeah, Ben's got on the bus, and then like Crowy scored it. That red kit, I think, from recollection. I remember Crowy scored. I remember it him. Yard. <laughs> I remember him coming on the pitch, and sort of Aaron McLean and a few of the players, and he was at. And it, it, looking back now, that you could tell there was something changing. Mm. Uh, but I was, I was probably not experienced enough as a player to to to, to maybe think to myself actually. You know, thanks for the for the option of going speaking to him. I respect the fact that you've been honest with me, but you know, I'm going to sit tight here and maybe try and get. I think the contract was up that summer, so you can see why they accepted the bid. But maybe you know, what about offering me a new contract and and maybe pushing it that way? Who knows? Um, ifs and buts and maybe's, of course. So you know, you can't regret. I just certainly don't regret the decisions that I've made. I, I won't want to ever regret a decision I backed out of. So you know, I made the decision. As I say, it's uh, it was a good time after that for my career. And just finally, when I look back at that time and the players that are in that dressing room, it really does surprise me that Paul Cardin's not had a, a wonderful managerial career because he was intelligent, he was technically aware, he seemed to have the respect of everybody when he spoke. Um, I, I, when you look at that group, it's a surprise to me that he hasn't sort of potentially done what you've done in terms of gone into the game in, in terms of the level you're at. Is that a surprise to you as well? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he had... He's, he's certainly got a, a blossoming manager career. He's at, he's at Warrington Town, which I know what you mean in the in terms of the levels. Of course, I, I agree with that. But you know, he's got he's getting some accolades, and you know, he's getting a real good reputation as a as a young up and coming manager. And, and fair play to him, he's learning. You know, mate, I've not spoke to him about the. I'm, I'm speculating, but he might have wanted to go in at a certain level and get his 
mm. his fingers dirty. And, you know, people think you could sometimes just jump in. Obviously, Frank Lampard as it screams out as an example. Steven Gerrard that have just gone straight in at a big club under big pressure and, and, and had some success. Um, there's other ways of going about it, isn't there? You've got a, it's a totally different industry. You know, the, I would be the most vocal of players as, as a captain and at half-time and after a game, if it had not gone our way, I wouldn't have a problem in sort of addressing it. Certainly your first day as a coach when you've got to stand there in front of a group of players and they're all looking back at you and there's that. And it's a totally different, it's the same industry, but completely different. You know, so fair play to him, as I say, for putting the hours in. And it's, it won't be easy. It's, you know, part-time football is not easy for the players or for staff. But I'm sure, you know, in the next few years, you, you might see him at you know, a higher level than he's at now, yeah. And just finally, finally, because journalists always say finally and then ask another question because it's just a way of giving you a little bit of more comfort. But um, I suppose from, um, if you were looking back at your time now, at the age you are now, what would you, how would you sum up um, your time? What words would you use to describe your time at Peach? I know you spoke, uh, you eulogised about how much you enjoyed it, et cetera, et cetera. But um, mm. you pack so much in to such a short period of time in terms of what you experienced. I, I guess it's, you know, when people talk to you about your playing career, I'd imagine that time will always be discussed. Yeah, it, it, it was a wasted opportunity, really, I think, from, from the players that we had in the building. Simple as that, the managers that we, that we had at the club and the, and the players that we had, I think it was a wasted opportunity. And maybe in the, in the couple of years after that, when Darren came in and certain other players joined, you could see the potential um, of the club. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have a lot of my old shirts that I just have hanging around and my weird story, my two boys who were 13 and... 12 they wear them as like when they go to bed as like jammers like big long shirts hanging off them and there's a couple of of my old ones there. there's always a posh shirt floating about about the house and I, I said to you dinner off camera before the, when he did this a couple of days ago when my lad came in and he was saying oh okay, you played against Ronaldo and I was like and he showed me the video and it was it was obviously Barry's testimonial which was a brilliant lead up a terrible result and a, not a great experience in terms of getting our um on the back end of a terrible sort of result, but a brilliant day. I can't and, believe, um, I can't believe that I've forgotten to mention the one thing that you told me that you would, you were discussing because you, 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 I, I was going to, need to say marked Ronaldo, but um, you, you sort of came close to Ronaldo. Well, <laughs> he came out for the second. We played half, everyone played half a game because it was pre-season. So I came on at half time and he came out of the tunnel. United had changed their team as well. And he came over to, he went across to the far side of the pitch and then he came back across to mine and I'm thinking, I'm thinking he must have forgot which wing he's playing on. And as he came back across, he took his earring out and gave it to the kit man and went back across the other side. And I was like, God for that. But in saying that, I was then up against Ryan Giggs and weird story. I mean, he lives around the corner. We weren't in the same school and that, but he was, um, I was reading his autobiography at the time and he was talking about how the hamstring problems that he'd had in his career and he was never able to get more than could never put more than 75% into a sprint in case he was, his hamstrings. <laughs> I, remember, I remember him picking the ball up, turning and opening up and just thinking, wow, this is, a, this is another level. But uh, no, it was a great experience, to say, for Barry. Some, some brilliant uh, memories, I'm sure, for the fans on that night. But yeah, but my little boy came in and as I, put the, as I said, oh yeah, I remember that. We, we watched the clips of the game. You text me like a minute after that saying, do you fancy this chat? So it's... Maybe the stars were aligning. I don't know. Weird, weird little story. But no, it's been good to. Uh, I can't believe you were you were looking at your old hairstyles. That was the real reason. Oh yeah, I still get sent them from our current crop of players now. Actually, whenever they want to sort of have a bit of a, a Mickey take, yeah, I still get that one. That was that was probably the worst barn that I had when I was at the club. To be fair, so uh, now as I say, it's been good to talk and sort of reinvent the memories because a lot of them are stored away and we're focusing on the now, aren't we? So 
the more I talk, the more memories are coming to me. So it's been it's been nice to uh, go back.